It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 777 for the 28th of January, 2022. This week, the Vivaldi web browser is perhaps the most customizable browser available. If you'd like a browser that can be adjusted to work the way you want it to, take a look. In short circuits, when you need to use safe mode in Windows, getting there can be a challenge. Making a few changes to some settings will provide immediate access at boot time. If you think IBM invented the business computer, you're wrong. The first business computer was put into service a little over 70 years ago in England, several years ahead of U.S. business usage. And 20 years ago, in 2002, tech pundits were saying that WordPerfect 5.1, the best of the DOS-based word processors, could not be installed on Windows XP. They were wrong. After experimenting with the Vivaldi browser for a few months, I wrote briefly about it in early December. Because I like the customization options, I decided to try it as my primary browser for a while. Usually, I switch back to Firefox that, despite the all-too-common frustrations, seems to work the way I want a browser to work. Well, Firefox may have met its match. Vivaldi developers recently released version 5 of the browser, and that made the already impressive browser even better. At first glance, Vivaldi looks a lot like other browsers, but I turn off the top menu and place it on the Vivaldi icon. Anyone concerned about forgetting that that's where the menu is can convert the Vivaldi icon to a standard menu icon, those three horizontal lines. My configuration of Vivaldi doesn't have tabs at the top, although it can be configured that way. I prefer having a list of pages on the left of the screen instead of tabs at the top. Currently, I have left the bookmark bar turned on at the top of the page, but I could turn it off because there's a bookmarks panel on the right side of the screen. It could be placed on the left side of the screen at the user's preference, or hidden. The panel on the right also has options to display a list of downloaded files, the browser's history, notes that can be added from any website page, a list of all open pages and recently closed pages, the Vivaldi translator, Vivaldi's main page, and Wikipedia. The user can also add other components and remove existing items from that panel. Vivaldi is a Chrome-based browser, so it's the same underlying technology that's in Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, Brave, Opera, Opera Neon, Opera GX, Torch, Komodo Dragon, and maybe a dozen or so other browsers. Firefox is the only major browser not based on Chrome. If you count Apple's Safari as a major browser, we should add it to the not Chrome list. So Mac users have a choice of a WebKit-based browser, Mozilla's quantum-based Firefox, or any of the many Chrome-based browsers. Windows users have only the two options, Chrome-based browsers and Firefox. Now, before getting all gushy about Vivaldi, let's establish a few ground rules here. No software is perfect, and particularly no browser. Every application has limitations and frustrations. 
website components don't always work properly with every browser. And I think it's a good idea to keep several browsers installed on your computer. Some websites have login procedures that run afoul of Vivaldi, or more likely are disabled by an add-in that blocks advertisements. Opening a chat session with GoDaddy support doesn't work on Vivaldi. Chat sessions with GoDaddy support are really uncommon in my world. If they were more common, I would identify the precise cause of the problem and fix it. For sessions that occur once or maybe twice a year, my solution is simply to use another browser. The primary point here is to find a browser that works the way you want it to most of the time, but not to uninstall other browsers. My primary computer has Vivaldi, Chrome, Edge, Firefox, and Opera. Besides being helpful to confirm that the TechBiter website renders properly with each browser, it also means that I have access to a browser that doesn't have the same cookies as my primary browser. As far as testing a website with multiple browsers go, that's far less important than it was in the bad old days when browser developers went out of their way to create capabilities that, when used, broke other browsers. This isn't an attempt to convince you to switch immediately to Vivaldi, but only to suggest that you might want to give it a try. In fact, there's a special group of computer users who might feel the way I do about Vivaldi. This group could be known as the Tinkerers, those who are never quite satisfied with any application's default settings. On the other hand, those who use whatever browser happens to be present on a computer and don't want to be bothered with customizations won't find Vivaldi to be any different than any other browser. But if you like customizations, Vivaldi is for you. Many browsers now have the concept of a home page where the browser stores sites the user visits frequently. Vivaldi gives users complete control to organize these pages into groups. Most browsers allow users to load themes to change the overall look of the application. Maybe you consider this somewhat silly. After all, you'll be using the browser to view websites, and each website has its own appearance. But look around. Did you pick a color when you bought a new car? Are the walls in your house some color other than white? Do you have any photos or other artwork on your desk? The browser's theme surrounds any website you're viewing. Vivaldi even lets users schedule themes. Maybe you'd like a light theme to be active during daylight hours, a dark theme active at night. Apple and Android offer translation options. Vivaldi does this too. When a website is in a language different from your browser user interface language, Vivaldi offers to translate it for you. To translate the page to your default language, just click the Translate button in the pop-up dialog. An important note about translations, though. It's essential to understand that automated translations will provide a general concept of the original text but no automatic translation will ever match the accuracy of a human translator who's familiar with both languages. In other words, don't depend on any automatic translation in legal or diplomatic situations. So really, what Vivaldi offers is the ability to make the browser yours. The top-level settings page has an astonishing 21 tabs. General appearance, themes, start page, tabs, panel, address bar, bookmarks, quick commands, keyboard, mouse, search, privacy, downloads, sync, web pages, network, mail, feeds, calendar, and display all. 
Display All shows all of the settings from the other 20 pages. Selecting Display All may cause your brain to explode, so please don't do that. Instead, let's take a look at a few of the individual panels. The startup panel of the General Settings page is where users can set Vivaldi to be the default browser and instruct it to check each time it's launched. The Home page can be set to a specific website or to the Vivaldi Start page. When the browser starts, it can reopen all pages from the user's previous session, the Home page or Start page, or a group of specific pages. I have 16 pages that I want to see each day, so I have them open automatically. This is also where users can enable or disable lazy loading if the browser opens multiple pages when it starts. Lazy loading is a compromise between resource load and speed. Activating lazy loading means that Vivaldi will list all of the pages, but it won't actually open them until you click on a site's tab. This is the default, and it reduces the browser's resource load. If you prefer faster loading, you can disable the lazy loading option, but the difference between the two modes seems pretty negligible. Vivaldi includes 10 themes, but there are nearly 100 themes that can be downloaded, and users can even create their own. This may be the least important feature on any browser, but think about it as selecting trim colors for an automobile. It won't affect the operation at all, but it might be more pleasing to your eye. Keyboard shortcuts are at the other end of the usefulness spectrum. Reaching for a mouse to perform a task is always slower than using a keyboard shortcut. So Vivaldi has keyboard shortcuts for Windows, Views, Tabs, Pages, Calendars, Mail, and Chains. Chains are essentially built-in macros, and Vivaldi can be linked to email servers and calendars. There are well over 100 keyboard shortcuts. Some have been defined by Vivaldi's developers. Users can define the ones that are blank and modify existing shortcuts so that Vivaldi works exactly the way the user wants it to. Here's an example of some of the existing shortcuts. There's Control-N and Shift-Control-N. Both open new windows. Adding Shift makes it a private window. F1 displays the help file. Control-F1 displays the keyboard shortcuts. Kind of a cheat sheet. Control-U displays a website's source code. F11 toggles in and out of full screen mode. And like I said, there are dozens more of these. Taking a few minutes to learn the keyboard shortcuts for actions that you perform frequently can be a significant time saver. The privacy panel's default settings are good choices, and there are options that go beyond the basics. Permissions for websites to have access to the computer's speakers, camera, microphone, MIDI devices, location, Bluetooth devices, and motion sensors, as well as the ability to display notifications and pop-ups. These can all be set to Always Allow, Always Block, or Ask. The Web Pages panel allows users to specify whether or not images are loaded, how scrolling performs on the page, and whether hardware acceleration can be used if the computer supports it. Browsers are free with virtually no exceptions. Given that software developers need to be paid so they can purchase trivial items such as food, housing, and clothing, we are left with the question of how the companies that create browsers monetize them. Most browser publishers receive income when the browsers are used to visit search engines. Because they're free, 
you can have as many as you want. Windows users will already have Edge, Mac users will already have Safari. Having immediate access to an extra browser or two, or maybe three or four, can be very helpful. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, when something goes wrong with Windows, one of the best ways to diagnose the problem involves booting into safe mode. The problem with that is the need to open msconfig when Windows is running so you can set the computer to reboot into safe mode. But if Windows isn't running properly, well, you see the problem here. That's why it's a good idea to prepare for a problem before you have a problem. Wouldn't it be helpful if, when Windows booted, you were offered a choice of booting into the normal operating mode or safe mode? It's possible to do that with just a couple of quick, easy changes. All that's required is identifying the bootloader, using that ID to create a new bootloader using BCD Edit, and then adding the new option to the boot sequence with msconfig. BCD Edit, by the way, is the Boot Configuration Data Editor. And if that sounded like old church Slavonic, don't despair. It's not difficult, but the steps must be completed without error. You'll find pictures on the TechBiter Worldwide website and some commands you can copy and paste. Start by opening the Start screen and typing CMD. You'll see the command prompt at the top of the list. Select Run as Administrator. When the command window opens, type BCD edit space forward slash ENUM space forward slash V. What you're doing is telling the boot editor to display the contents of the boot configuration data file. The result will be many lines of text. The second section of text is labeled Windows Bootloader. Look for the identifier line and copy the identifier, including the curly braces, by highlighting it with the mouse and then using Ctrl-C. You might want to paste that value into a plain text editor, such as Notepad. Take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you'll see what the value should look like. But keep in mind that what you see there is my computer's bootloader ID. Yours will be different. Return then to the command window and type another command you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Be sure that you use your bootloader identifier and type, or copy and paste, exactly what you see. The spaces and the forward slashes are essential. When you run that command, if all goes well, you'll get a success message from Windows. Next, open the Start screen and type msconfig. System configuration will appear at the top of the list. Select Run as Administrator, and when the applet opens, choose the Boot tab. You should see two lines of text, one that says Windows 10 C colon backslash Windows current OS default OS, and another that has the text you used with BCD Edit. In my case, that second line says Windows Safe Mode C colon backslash Windows. Select the line with the name you created, make sure you get the line you created, not the default line, and then select the Safe Boot checkbox. 
I recommend selecting the network option at the bottom of the list so that network will be available in safe mode. With your line still selected, put a check mark in Make All Boot Settings Permanent and then enter a non-zero value in Timeout. 30 seconds is a good value here. It determines how long Windows will display the boot option before booting into the default mode. If you leave that box blank or you set it to zero, the safe mode option will not be displayed at boot time. Click OK and you'll be offered an opportunity to reboot the computer. Before rebooting, be sure to save all of your data and close all open programs. Whenever you boot the computer, you'll have a new option before the login screen appears. If you do nothing for 30 seconds, the computer will boot normally. To start the computer in safe mode, select the safe mode option. Or if you want to just continue to boot normally, as you probably will most times, just press the enter key and the boot process will continue to the normal mode. Inventors began working on what would become general-purpose computers, such as the ones we have today, in the 1930s. In 1951, the U.S. Census Bureau started using UNIVAC-1. It was the first general-purpose electronic digital computer designed for business applications produced in the United States. Businesses were slow to use computers, so early users were all government agencies and universities. Before UNIVAC, there was the ENIAC computing system. It was used during World War II. Colossus was put into service at Bletchley Park in the United Kingdom during the war. The United States was generally seen as being in the lead, and you might think the first business computer was invented here, but it wasn't. That happened in England when the J. Lyons Company needed a device that would calculate ingredients needed for its bakery products, Later, it was used to track employee working hours and calculate their pay. Lyons was a British restaurant chain, food manufacturing, and hotel conglomerate. It was in business for nearly 100 years after being founded in 1884. The final restaurant closed in 1981. The computer built for the company had 5,000 tubes. Put into service on the 30th of November, 1951, this was several years before computers began being used by businesses in the United States. A film marks the 70th anniversary of the Lyons Electronic Office, or LEO, the world's first business computer. The film is 26 minutes long, and it includes interviews with people who worked on the device. LEO was big, taking up 2,500 square feet of floor space. Two Lions managers had visited the U.S. in 1947 to examine U.S. business methods. They returned to England with an understanding that computers were the future. You'll find a link to the movie on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. There's no film to view, but if you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website and scroll down to 20 years ago, this week you'll find an article about a controversy involving WordPerfect 5.1 for DOS and Windows XP in 2002. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>